Guess what, Lions? For as little as $5 a month, you can get access to exclusive bonus audio content and help this program grow by joining the Lions of Liberty Pride. To learn more, head over to lionsofliberty.com slash support. We the people, through organizations, through businesses, we can provide better services. We can do what the government says it does, and we can do it better. Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here's your host. Dog Liberty lovers, welcome back to the best and perhaps the only libertarian variety show out there, Lions of Liberty, where you get three distinct and equally informative and entertaining programs each and every week. Of course, I come to you every single Monday with the flagship Lions of Liberty podcast, where I host interesting interviews like the one you're going to hear today, as well as the occasional roundtable. And then again, on Wednesdays, you've got Brian McWilliams with his weekly shot of comedy, culture, and liberty with Electric Liberty Land. Just last week, we had our awesome Thanksgiving special over on that show, uh, where we had our good friends from the Johnny Rocket Launchpad and had a ridiculous, very, very very R-rated, actually probably X-rated time. So if that sounds like your cup of tea, be sure to go ahead and check that out. And of course, every single Friday, you've got John Odermatt bringing you his hard look at the broken criminal justice system with Felony Friday. Don't miss a beat. Be sure to hit that subscribe button. And of course, this is episode number 323 of this program. That means you can find today's show notes over at lionsofliberty.com slash 323. Let's get into this thing. My guest today has been a guest on this show several times in the past discussing organizations that he has founded, such as Panda, People Against the NDAA, which we talked about, believe this or not, way back in episode three of the Lions of Liberty podcast, as well as great organizations like the Solutions Institute and the Tax Revolution Institute. He is quite possibly the most active activist I know. I am so pleased to welcome back Mr. Dan Johnson. Dan, are you ready to roar? Roaring, rocking, and rolling. Good to be back on the show, Mark. <laughs> all fun things. All things I enjoy doing. <laughs> Maybe not at the same time. That can be dangerous. It's, it's kind of like sex, drug, and drugs, and rock and roll, but more of like a, a primitive way of doing it. Yeah, it's like a PG version. <laughs> uh, now, Dan, you know, you've been on the show quite a number of times. I haven't done the math. You might actually be the guest who's been on the most because I think this is my fourth interview. And then you hopped on to uh, one of our, I remember you were you're on one of our crazy uh, libertarians in living rooms drinking liquor shows at one point. Uh, so you might actually be the number one. I'll have to comb through the the files to confirm. But you might actually have been on the show more than any non-core Lions of Liberty member. So uh, shout out congrats to my, on that shout, possible shout award. Shout out to my marketing team. <laughs> there you go. These guys are all over it. <laughs> but, you know, Dan, like I said, you've been on a few different times. You've started a few different organizations, but, you know, we probably do have a, a lot of new listeners. I mean, definitely a lot of new listeners since your first appearance back in episode three. So why don't you give maybe the quick, like, 90-second or so elevator speech version of how you first got into politics and political activism, how did you get involved in all this crazy stuff here? So the gist of it is uh, I saw a video on the 2012 National Defense Authorization Act, basically, if anyone on uh, listening to your show is familiar with the Japanese-American detention in 1942, where uh, FDR decided that he was going to lock up 120,000 or so Japanese-Americans uh, on suspicion of helping the enemy. And uh, that law uh, placed the exact same authority uh, on U.S. soil, allowed the president to detain someone without a charge or without a trial. And it was enough to kind of shock me out of my seat, so I, I got involved in politics. I started uh, an organization to fight that. We passed laws from coast to coast. 
uh, ended up going from there to starting a training organization, uh, wanted to get into other issues, trained about 70 or 75 activist organizations from that point, and then got a chance to start looking at at the money. And, and really, it's, it's all been a process of uh, how can we influence the most change toward liberty and toward freedom at once and going from civil liberties to learning how the voting system works to going after the money to going after the hearts and minds uh, has really been the transition process for me. Man, you nailed that. I, I, I didn't know if you could do it in, in 90 seconds. I think, yeah, I think you got it on the button. <laughs> <laughs> That's like f- four or five years of activism summed right up. That's good stuff. Man. I, I wasn't sure if I could do it either. Well, you know, Dan, you, you've started so many different organizations and I, it's, it seems to me like, you know, like you said, when you first saw that video, you about the National Defense Authorization Act, you had no political experience. You know, you had no uh, experience in the political arena. You had no experience as an activist. You have learned everything that you've learned on your own, essentially, on the way, by forming the organizations is how you learn to be an activist. You didn't, you know, go take activism 101 and then try to figure out how to do it. You know, So what advice would you give to other people out there who might have been like you were back then that get inspired? Maybe they hear an interview on a podcast, perhaps they get inspired, but they just they just don't know what to do because they think, well, I have no experience in this in this realm. How did you take your lack of experience and turn that into uh, your current experience, which is having founded several amazing organizations? Well, my first suggestion is don't do what I did. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> Learn from Dan. Don't necessarily repeat it. Exactly. Uh, look, uh, a lot of people, when they're looking at things in the world uh, and they're looking at what kind of change they can make, they look at politics because uh, it's in the news. It's all over your Facebook and your Twitter. Uh, it's uh, where it seems like most of the decisions are getting made. Uh, and I dived into, dove into politics because it seemed like that's where most of the decisions were being made. But the reality is that politics is a sideshow where, uh, if you imagine the old coliseums uh, in ancient Rome, uh, where you just pit a bunch of bloodthirsty people against a bunch of other people, and uh, in the end, while one side thinks they're winning... I don't need to imagine those, man. <laughs> I, I watch UFC, I watch boxing, I think we're pretty much there. <laughs> well, and there's a, there's also a Russian version where they have, like, actual chain mail and swords and stuff like that. Um, but, but uh, yeah, like, if you take that, politics is a slightly more civilized version of uh, the old Coliseums, and in the end... You know, one side's always winning or one, and one side's always losing. But re- in reality, they're both losing. Um, they're getting worse results uh, because they're using a system that has some very serious fundamental flaws. And uh, so my suggestion to you, let's, let's say you want to get involved in something. I don't know, maybe, maybe you want to work on preventing the effects of the drug war from affecting more families. Then I would urge you to look at why was there a drug war created in the first place? Which was, oh, well, we're scared that drugs will, will tear apart families and we're, well, at least most of America was, Nixon just hated black people. But <laughs> most of America was, oh, well, you know, we're scared about drugs taking over families. And then look to create a solution or find a solution yourself that uh, brings those families together, that provides rehab, that provides counseling. Go directly at the problems that you see. Don't try to go through the political system because at the end of the day, especially if you're going for freedom or liberty, uh, you are one among uh, one voice among thousands, and uh, all of the incentives and all of the power structures 
it's all against you. So you can get the exact same results by going outside politics than you can uh, by spending you know five or six years directly inside the political system. Well, that sort of attitude seems to tie directly into this new organization that you have founded. Uh, so why don't we dive right into it? It is called We Do Better. What is the deal, Dan? What is this thing? Well, the simple elevator pitch is uh, actually had... <laughs> we know you can nail elevator pitches, so I'm, I'm confident. I'm excited about this. <laughs> I had to turn it. I had to turn it into an escalator pitch not too long ago, so it actually got even. You're, you're allowed to have more than ninety seconds. For this one. <laughs> Thanks. You can have the rest of the show. <laughs> so the simple elevator pitch is, is really that there are many ways of providing public services, whether you're talking about roads or healthcare or schools or whatever, any type of service that's being delivered to the public. There are many ways of providing them. You've got government. You've got nonprofits. You've got for-profits. You've got informal groups. Uh, you've even got, in some cases, individuals. But most of those public services are actually being provided by organizations, for-profits, individuals, informal groups, they're not being provided by the government. However, the vast majority of resources that are supposed to be going to public services are going to the government. This is a really simple conundrum. More resources are going to the people who aren't delivering the most results. What We Do Better is about is not only building a uh, database of uh, organizations and groups that are out there, that uh, deliver public services. So anybody in their area, they put in their zip code, they can put in what they need and get a list of organizations that can provide that. But also about allowing people to be able to redirect their dollars to those, their tax dollars to those organizations. That is our two main focuses. And, and it all comes under the umbrella that look, activists, including myself, have spent years, sometimes decades, trying to reform or fix government so that it delivers the results they want out of it. Whether that means it's protecting rights, whether that means it's protecting your safety, uh, whatever that means, people have tried to use this tool. But at the end of the day, they're the fundamental flaws of this tool, and we have those on our website, wedobetter.org, the fundamental flaws of this tool, starting with the fact that the government unlike everywhere else, does not have to earn money based on results. The results are not tied to the amount of money that comes in or the resources that come in. That, among others, makes government just a bad way of solving problems. And when we realize that not only government is a bad way of solving problems, but there's all of these other organizations and people with great ideas who have implemented them sometimes for decades, solving problems so much better, that if we simply look to those organizations, send our resources to those organizations, and kind of make the government compete a little bit, um, not only are we solving the problems, but we're also reducing the abuse uh, and the unaccountable uh, nature of the government. So I think what you've laid out here would probably sound amazing to people that you know, probably the kind of people that listen to the show, people that are already libertarians and um, you know already into things like individual responsibility and looking to free market private solutions for things. But uh, obviously for a lot of this stuff to really take hold and society at large, you're going to need to convince people that don't currently think that way. So what, what's your approach to people like that who might say, well, of course, government's accountable, Dan. We get to vote them out every once in a while. So if they're not providing the services you like, you simply, you know, find a new congressman and uh, you vote him in and you get him to do things better. That's all. Well, cool. 
Well, first of all, I don't think any very few people would say that because I even had there's at least like one guy. There's probably somebody, but I'll tell you, I interviewed a um, a state senator uh, in Arizona who was trying to defend the idea that politicians should be able to tell you where your uh, tax dollars go. And uh, he he kind of he paused because he didn't know what to say. And then eventually he said, well, theoretically, people can hold us more accountable than the organizations. When even the politicians have to add theoretically to accountability, there probably isn't much. <laughs> that said, uh, you know, if you're a person who is not politically involved, not politically engaged whatsoever, but... Uh, you want better outcomes for people, this is for you. If you're someone who, uh, let's say your sister was in an abusive relationship, and uh, you might know, for example, that Department of Justice grants uh, for domestic violence shelters don't allow that domestic violence shelter to uh, spend any money on pets. You might also know that 60% of women do not leave abusive relationships because they cannot bring their pet. I have never heard that statistic. That's really interesting. And as, as a dog owner, I can actually understand. I can totally understand that because, you know, your pets are, are like your children in many ways. So, you know, it might sound ridiculous to maybe non-pet owners, but just like sometimes a, a relationship will, will remain together because of children, uh, I guess the same could, could hold true for pets. And especially if, if you know that that person you know, might be an abusive partner. Right. If they're abusive to the woman or, you know, it could be it could go the other way. If you're, they're abusive to their partner, they would probably be abusive to the pet. So you don't want to leave those those poor little puppies there. <laughs> exactly. And that statistic was told to me by the director of a domestic violence shelter in Arizona where taxpayers are able to redirect their dollars to this organization. He says when the taxpayers are directing their dollars to his organization, they're actually able to spend money and they're actually uh, they're building an annex for their shelter that's going to be able to house the pets uh, that the women need to bring with them from their relationships. So when you say redirect their money, can, are you saying in Arizona right now they're all already sort of implementing what you're talking about? I mean, you can actually – how does that work? How, how can people redirect their tax out? Not just sort of. For the past 20 years, taxpayers in Arizona have been able to redirect up to 200 of their tax dollars they owe to the state government to any organization in the state that serves the poor. That was doubled last year to $400 per person. And just before it was doubled, uh, we know that 130,000 Arizonans sent $36 million to these organizations uh, because they believe that these organizations are providing a better public service than the government. And that's just the amount that they've, they've sent through that redirecting program? Yep, just in one year. That's, so that's, that's outside of any additional charity that people might just be giving, which I'm sure is quite a bit as well. Exactly. I mean, if, if you take that, you know, Americans give about $385 billion in charity uh, every single Greedy Americans. <laughs> <laughs> we are actually one of the most charitable um, countries on earth. And uh, uh, if you, just with the results... Uh, that they have there. And, and we know from our own surveys, only about 15% of Arizonans actually know that this credit exists and they know how to redirect their dollars. But uh, uh, if you took that same law and you implemented it uh, in every state in the nation and you had such a low participation rate uh, that they do there because so few people know about it, you would send $1.7 billion 
away from abusive or ineffective programs inside state governments and to organizations in your community that can deliver and do deliver better public services. So you don't need to leave the, the puppies with the abusive, uh, govern- the abusive government boyfriend in this case. And, and, you, and you also, uh, if, if anyone who's listening to this podcast has been an activist for a while, uh, you know there's a practical element to this. Um, so I'm sure this being a libertarian podcast, you probably have a lot of listeners who love the phrase taxation is theft. Um, you might like to know that when the foundation for economic education went out and uh, surveyed dozens of political phrases, the phrase rated lowest by every single political group, including libertarians was taxation is theft. What do you mean rated low as in uh, disagreed with the most, the normies don't really buy into that one. (laughs) One very little hearts over. If you will. However, if you take the exact same principle and you simply say, we the people, through organizations, through businesses, through uh, informal groups like the Cajun Navy, we'll get to those in a second, um, we can provide better services. We can do what the government says it does, and we can do it better. So the, that is the we, then, and we do better. It's it's you, it's me, it's everybody. We the people. Exactly. And uh, if you simply, if we simply go, well, we do a better job and let's direct our money to those instead, you get a very similar result and you bring all of the left and the right on board with you. Without having to convince them of uh, uh, like a philosophical notion that taxation is theft, you want to just go out and get the money directed to places that are more effective, to places that are going to do the things that they want, provide the services that they're already demanding from government, and hopefully your idea is to show them that they can actually do this through private giving, through private charity. I guess, while I know you mentioned don't do it through politics, but obviously some part of this is going to have to you know meet meet politics head on at some point, because you're going to have to try to get laws passed in other states and expand the cur- programs that currently exist in, say, Arizona, and uh, hopefully maybe on the, na- on the national level as well. well. Well, think of politics this way. I didn't say don't do it through politics. I said don't look to politics as the answer. Think of it this way. Right. Um, let's imagine politics as, a bo- as the boxing ring or that coliseum. All we're saying is let's not just not punch our ticket. We're not just not going to participate. We're not going to give them the money to continue the fight. Uh, and there's a difference between those two. And so, yeah, there's, there's a little bit of law and pressure involved. And, uh, we already have about 10 or so teams around the country who are working to pass these credits in their area and engage with the organizations in their area. But, uh, not only are we not going to look to the government for solutions, not because we don't like the government, not because the government's terrible or evil or government employee, you know, put a, put a spit in your sandwich. Um, but because... There are fundamental flaws with the government's way of delivering services because they don't have to earn the money they provide that put anyone who receives a government service and anyone who pays for a government service at a disadvantage to what they otherwise could have done. So it's an empirical argument. We're saying, look, in general, government just doesn't do as good of a job. And therefore, let's look to these organizations. Let's bring them in. And whatever politics we have to work with in order to get there, whatever pressure we have to apply in order to get these credits passed, we'll apply that pressure. But we're not saying we're using politics to fix politics. No, we are punching our ticket so that we don't have to deal with it anymore. 
I know many of you are facing major decisions with your healthcare right now, and I want to make sure that you know about an amazing alternative to your standard corporatized health insurance known as Health Excellence Plus. Health Excellence Plus is an incredible program that helps you keep medical costs under control by taking charge of your own healthcare and not leaving all the decisions about what doctors you see, and what procedures you need or don't need up to some corporate bureaucrat. Along with providing 24-7 access to medical professionals, tax-deferred health savings accounts, and preventative care, Health Excellence Plus empowers you to finally take control of your health care. To learn more, head on over to lionsofliberty.com slash health or call the special hotline for Lions of Liberty listeners at 855-290-4447. Be sure to mention Lions of Liberty. All right, so how does We Do Better actually work? Are you guys basically lining up organizations that provide a lot of the services that people normally look for through government? Are you guys kind of connecting people with those organizations, trying to promote those organizations while also taking the approach of trying to you know, get this idea, gen- this general idea out there on, on a state-by-state basis with local organizations, which obviously, as we discussed, is going to have to include a little bit of lobbying to uh, hopefully expand credits and expand the ways that people can actually redirect as opposed to just giving their own additional dollars, give the dollars they already would have given government to those organizations. So so is that, is that the basic strategy right now? Our strategy for implementing this is actually uh, really simple. Number one is uh, we do want communities, first of all, to pick the organizations. We are not going to go out and say, these are the organizations you have to support. You know, we like this organization or we get $1,000 a month from this organization to promote them or whatever. No, that that is not we do better. We do better is uh, the we the people, the people in that community should be able to decide. So while we'll recommend really great organizations like, for example, the Cajun Navy, uh, if anyone is familiar with the Cajun Navy, I'm sure many of your listeners are. Oh, they certainly are, because uh, I'm not sure if you know, but we actually funded uh, an entire project with the Cajun Navy through the Donor C app um, th- with our listeners. So we, we g- gathered together with some other libertarian podcasts and did several big pushes to uh, to fund the C- Cajun Navy's rescue operations down in Houston. So uh, many of my, my listeners are not only familiar, but have uh, directly given to the cause. Do you know how many people the Cajun Navy rescued during Hurricane Harvey? I'm willing to bet you do. Good guess. The Cajun Navy activated a day before the National Guard. They were there before the Coast Guard. They rescued over 6,000 people. And that is more than the Coast Guard. I do not recall seeing this on CNN. I don't watch CNN. So that could be a reason, but I'm I'm guessing that they didn't have it as a headline. They had the headline of how much the Coast Guard rescued, which is somewhere around four or 5,000. Um, but they did not have that headline correct. And like you said, like the point here is not to say knock the Coast Guard because there are probably many brave individuals that work for the Coast Guard that also save people, and that's wonderful. But the point is, it didn't have to be the Coast Guard. That's proven by the Cajun Navy, who did it not only earlier, they started to arrive earlier, they saved more people. I'm willing to bet, without looking at any any financials here, that they probably did it a lot cheaper as well. I would say one one hundredth of the resources of the Coast Guard is being kind to the Cajun Navy. Sure, I mean these guys are volunteers; they're not even taking a dime for themselves. Exactly, they're just collecting money to for gas and for supplies and that sort of thing. Exactly, and so and that's just one example of many. And people can go to WeDoBetter.org and see like a couple other organizations that we throw out on that respect. But uh, going back to the strategy, the strategy you remember from my time at Panda that uh, it is a grassroots movement and a grassroots uh, organization. And so the strategy has got to be 
very cut and dry. Here's exactly how we're going to do this. So the strategy is really simple. If you're listening to this and you're like, you know what? I'd like people to, uh, you know, I'd like us to be talking about solutions. I'd like people to be looking to uh, organizations that do a better job and having the metric as who does a better job rather than some ideological fight between the left and right. Then here's what you can do. Our strategy is uh, to have these charitable credits passed in cities, counties, and states all around the country. And uh, if someone wants to get involved, what we do is, number one, we give them a simple script and we have them contact five organizations, either that we know of or that they like, in their community that provide great public services. And they start establishing a little bit of rapport with those organizations. They get an idea of what those services are. And then that is fed into a database, which will actually be on the social safety net website I talked about a little bit earlier. Once they do that, uh, we figure out who they know in the area, whether it be friends and family, people who run nonprofits, uh, political organizations, what have you. And uh, we connect them with those people, uh, help provide legal marketing coalition support. And we help them start introduce, we write the legislation and uh, we help them introduce the charitable credit at their local level. Then once they pass the credit, we help them promote it so the community knows about it. And uh, not only then is there a direct way for people to support the organizations in their community that deliver the best services, but there's also a direct accountability mechanism on that local government. You talked about voting earlier, right? Voting is nice. But voting is, is, it's an indirect accountability mechanism. Everywhere else, it's money. Yeah, everywhere else, it's either money or, you know, maybe there's there's also like social accountability, PR, marketing, and that kind of thing. But yeah, for the most part, uh, the political arena is the only time where we just take a vote to decide. Uh, yeah, you don't, you don't like <laughs> how people man, are. Man, I'm going to vote my lawn boy out of service. You just don't pay him. <laughs> like, uh, and, and because this is fundamental to politics... It doesn't really matter how much work you know is done to make it more efficient until you address that. Nothing changes. So once you pass a credit in your community, let's say I don't know, let's say a police officer uh, in your city is involved in an unjustified shooting, and uh, you want to take action. Well, instead of communities around the country over the past five or ten years who have attempted to take action and gotten really not much done. You simply organize the people of your community to send their tax dollars away from that department into a security company like the Detroit Threat Management Center, uh, which has only killed one person in the past 20 years with 40 facilitators. Wow, those are uh, much better numbers than I imagine the, the Detroit police are, are <laughs> Yes, they are. And they're in some of the roughest neighborhoods of Detroit, including Crack Alley where they reduced the crime rate by 90%. So when you're looking at uh, these options, and I don't know all of them, I, I don't know even half, even a quarter of the organizations that are around the country and in communities that are doing fantastic work. But once you actually have a credit in your community, you have a direct way to support those organizations who are doing the work of the government better. And you have a direct way to really hold your government accountable. So it kind of accomplishes two big things that libertarians, people who like liberty, even conservatives and liberals, 
have really wanted out of the government for a long time. You know, this occurred to me. I remember when you were on the show way earlier back in January uh, talking about the Tax Revolution Institute. This kind of came to me. But this, the more you speak about it, the more it sounds like the ideas of uh, this guy who uh, Mar- Mark Allen Feldman, who is a libertarian presidential candidate, sadly passed away last year. But he had this idea of I don't remember exactly his term for it, but it was something like that the tax and charitable credit idea. Or basically, this is exactly what you're talking about, that people could d- redirect Anything up to the ex- exact amount that they are owed in taxes to the federal government, they could direct it to any charitable organizations that they liked and that up to the entire you know tax burden. So while it's not attacking the idea that you have to pay money directly because you know you're n- none of the even your legislation that you guys passed doesn't change the amount people owe, it just lets, lets them redirect it. But if you're able to actually start doing that, I think over time people will start to realize if we're just redirecting all our money through the government, you know, and the government's take keeping track of it, but we're, we're actually redirecting all our money to these organizations that are doing such great work. At some point, if this catches on enough, people are going to realize, wait, why do we even need the government in the middle? Why, why, why are these guys here? <laughs> well, yeah, why, well, they're just an administrative burden at that point. Just to check a box that we, uh, that we sent some money somewhere? What's the number one reason that a politician will argue to raise your taxes? It will be, oh, well, we have this new program, or we want to save the children, or we want to do this, that, and the other. If you take away that justification... Their only argument, and I've seen this on interview in person, it's fun to watch, their only argument is, well, we are fine, upstanding individuals who should have control over this money. And that doesn't usually go over well for politicians. <laughs> That's uh like like the uh, like you're saying earlier. That's a that's a theory. <laughs> <laughs> that's certainly a theory. Not one most listeners of my show will buy into. Or honestly, you know, I think sometimes as much as say the public doesn't agree that quote taxation is theft. I think at the end of the day, when you actually get into conversations with a lot of people, a lot of the, the little comments about politicians not being accountable, that stuff goes over with the common man because I think people do have a deep seated knowledge that politicians are generally unaccountable. I mean, people do think that way. They just generally don't take it beyond that to, well, if they're unaccountable, how do we change things? How do we actually have a system where people are accountable? And that's exactly what you're presenting here. That, that really is. And, you know, it's it's not necessarily our idea. You know, Arizona has had this in place, like I said, for 20 years. But it's looking at, uh, look at the impact that this had. Look how this brings liberals and conservatives, liberals who want people better taken care of and conservatives who want uh, money spent more efficiently and less waste and less government. Look how it brings everyone together in really a non-political manner to say, well, shouldn't we be able to choose who does a better job and support them instead? All of a sudden, you have a idea that is not branded as libertarian and therefore doesn't face the political uphill climb. Uh, but literally implements in a practical fashion every facet of what libertarians have wanted for a long time. Yeah, because whenever you use a political term, it it comes loaded and you're immediately going to turn off at least half your audience. If not, I don't know, maybe in the case of libertarianism, like 90% of your audience, they're going to just going to go, oh, libertarians, they're the crazy ones. They're the guys that, you know, dance naked and want no rules in society. So we we don't want to listen to them. But if you just take that word away and present this whole solution that is extremely libertarian in nature, just the fact that you're not branding it as that will already open up doors that you might not have had otherwise. Uh, So that that leads me to my next question. Obviously, like, like we said, most libertarians 
libertarians are going to really like what you're talking about here. But what sort of response, since you're not branding this as a libertarian concept, what sort of response have you received from non-libertarian groups? I know you, you interact with just about everyone out there, conservatives, progressives. What kind of response have you gotten from, from those other groups that are not explicitly libertarian? When it comes to libertarian ideas, uh, particularly economically, it doesn't tend to be the right libertarians have trouble bringing over on taxes, on regulation. It tends to be the more conservative people who are like, yeah, yeah, no, we, we agree. So in order to really test this idea and to see its veracity, we, we wanted a little bit of a challenge. So we pre-launched We Do Better at Netroots Nation. Uh, now, for those of you who don't know, Netroots Nation is the largest progressive conference in the country. You heathen! You mingled with progressives! <laughs> Some so, might, You must receive three liberty lashings. Some out. might call me that. But that was where, uh, for example, Hillary Clinton was uh, uh, confronted by Black Lives Matter. That's how progressive of a conference this is. And uh, we had a 100% sign-up rate at our table, as in every single person who walked up to the table said... I want to do something about this. I want to follow this. I want to get involved in some way. No objections. No one thought this was a bad idea. Oh, it's not there weren't any objections. In fact, we had a guy come up to the table, and the first words out of his mouth were, I disagree with everything you stand for. Okay. Nice to meet you, too. <laughs> All right. That's, that's an opening salvo. <laughs> right. Yeah, great. Let's, <laughs> Go on. Let's have a conversation. <laughs> Tell me more, kind sir. And, and of course, he he was he was all like, "Oh yeah, well these these private programs and schools and they're just for rich people and it's just terrible, and uh, you know you're just on well, privatization of everything." And, and we just were like, "Well, would you agree that we should have a moral commitment to the outcome rather than an ideological commitment to the method?" And he kind of agreed, and he's like, "Yeah." would you agree that we should be about the best outcomes for public services, that whatever public services need to be provided, that whoever gets them is getting the best best outcome for them. And that's a good little trick you use by still calling it public services, because that's a phrase that he will be, you know, nice and calm hearing, oh, public services, those are the things I like. So you're not saying, end these things you like, you're saying, how can we get these things that you already like to be better? Do we want a world where nobody serves the public? <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I, the fact that the government's co-opted the term public services to mean only things that they provide doesn't take away from the fact it is the word public and the word services, providing services to the public. If you're a grocery store that provides low-cost food for a community so they don't starve, you're providing public services. And and I, I want libertarians to really grasp onto that, that this is about uh, taking back to a certain extent that word, which has, or that phrase, which has been... Uh, oh, yeah, well, only the government can serve the public. I can't drive a half a mile in L.A. without seeing an urgent care that is open to the public. These are private organizations that are open to anybody who walks in. So it's really just a matter of targeting the right organizations and uh, figuring out how to get those organizations to serve more of the public. Exactly. And and so and it's not it's also it's not just focusing on public services, but it's also this has to be about data. We say there are fundamental flaws in the government provision of public services. And because of those fundamental flaws, the government has the burden of proof to present data that shows that only they can provide a particular public service or, or they do a better job providing a particular public service. If they do, we'll back off until somebody comes around and says, you know, here, I'm doing a better job. We'll back off in that area. And I think that uh, when you take an empirical approach and you're like, this should be about who does a better job 
just so happens the government's disadvantaged in this area by the way that it's funded. And uh, if we start changing that uh, around, then uh, not only are people getting better services, but to a certain extent, government may even become a little bit better and more accountable. When it is an empirical argument instead of an ideological one, there's much less resistance. And uh, at the end of the day, this uh, guy basically said, well, I'm a socialist, but I work with organizations that serve mentally disabled children. And I believe those organizations should have more resources. And he signed up. That's amazing, man. Especially when, when, you're, when you're getting to that point of him signing up uh, when you started with, I disagree with everything you stand for. <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty, uh, how long did that take you? It was about a five minute conversation. Um, but, but, but literally, and, and I want this lesson to be taken away here. A lot of people, particularly on the left, they're really good hearted people. They genuinely care about their fellow man. They genuinely care about the people around them. And uh, if you're ever going to get someone to buy your product, uh, not only do you have to be honest about what you're selling or they'll never come back, but once you're honest about what you're selling, you have to think about what is it that they could get out of this? What is it that they might want out of this? And it just so happens that uh, the free market, the voluntary sector, provides what they want and so much more. And if you just show them how it does that, they turn pretty quickly. All right, Dan. Well, I, I mean, like I said, I think my audience is really going to be keen on this idea. And because of that, uh, why don't you just give them all the ways that they can find out more about We Do Better, how they can sign up, how they can get involved directly. Give them the whole spiel. You can go to wedobetter.org, W-E-D-O better dot O-R-G. Uh, there you can donate, support our efforts, and support building this social safety net website so people can find the public services in their area, as well as uh, if you're saying, you know what, I'd like to bring the people together in my community, and, and I think that I could see this happening in my city. If you go to wedobetter.org and uh, sign up, we'll get in touch with you and get you in touch with some of the organizations in your area and start working so that your community can choose where their resources go and send them to, well, quite frankly, who does a better job. And you started this organization, what, about a month ago? The organization has been in the works for about a year. In your, in your mind, but yeah, but the, the official launch. <laughs> in was, my was mind, pretty, yeah. yes, I've just been thinking about it. Right. Um, <laughs> no, it's In your mind, and obviously behind the scenes, but I mean, what, since it's been public. Correct, yeah, the organization has been public for about a month and a half, and uh, uh, we've had such amazing response to the organization that we're actually spending more time with uh, democratic groups and uh, more mainstream non-political groups than we are in any of the the libertarian circles that most people uh, just end up in. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm looking at your Facebook page. You guys already got a couple thousand people on there, and that's after just recently launching. So I'm sure it really helps that you've already led and created several activist organizations. You already have a lot of people that support the work you have done through those organizations. So that's just you know a great way to to launch this with with sort of a, a built in base already. So Dan, I think what you're doing here is is amazing stuff. It's the kind of thing that we're going to need to present to people, um, it, not just theoretically, not just our philosophy about how free markets and private organizations and free exchange of ideas and goods can really be better for man. But 
literally show them, show them in the real world. And uh, that's exactly what you're doing. So I think you're, you're doing some amazing work here. Again, it is called We Do Better. Please check it out. Dan, I'm sure I'll talk to you again in, in six months when you come up with some more other organization uh, that's <laughs> doing amazing work. But you keep killing it. So I'm going to keep having you back on as long as you do. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm sticking with this one for, for quite a while, but uh, the, the thing I'll leave your listeners with is, is a very simple, especially for this community, very simple question. Let's hear it. When you say you want to cut a program or you want to cut spending and someone asks you, uh, so if government doesn't do that, who will? If your answer is we will, it's the wrong answer. Your answer should be we do we have, and we are already doing better. So let's just go do more of it. This is not theory. This is happening. So let's make more of it happen. When you put it that way, it's hard to, it's really hard to argue with. (laughs) Thanks for having me on Mark. Keep up the great work, Dan. We'll talk soon. All right, Liberty Kitty Cats. I hope you enjoyed my conversation there with the great Dan Johnston. I am not lying when I say this is one of the most active activists I have ever encountered in my uh, short time here in the Liberty podcasting world. Uh, But he really does some great works, innovative ideas, and I think he's a great guy to get behind because you know what he's going to do if you support his projects. He's going to work his butt off. He is working his butt off to support them. This guy talks the talk and walks the walk. Speaking of which, we have a group called Walk the Walk run by our Lions of Liberty Pride member, Clint Rankin. You can find them on Facebook. You can also go to walkthewalktofreedom.com. We are working with him to promote different projects that we can support to help people out there through the DonorC app. And we're currently doing a big push for our friend Daniel Lee. He is one of our first members of the Lions of Liberty Pride. He is our one of our $25 members. So he really puts his money into this program and his hard-earned money to help grow the show. And in return, we want to help him and help some of his family members who are greatly affected by Hurricane Harvey. We are, do have a project on DonorC to help them out. And uh, we're trying to wrap that puppy up hopefully in the next week or so so if you could go ahead and check that out you can find a link to it over in the show notes for today's show again at lionsofliberty.com slash 323 and you'll also find links to it over in that walk the walk group on facebook also over in the lions of liberty forum if you're not in there what are you waiting for come join the conversation just by typing lions of liberty forum in your little search bar there on facebook it should pop right up all you got to answer a question of is when did you first hear about the Lions of Liberty podcast? If you can answer that question, it should be pretty simple. Uh, it doesn't even need to be right. It could be any answer. Just prove you're a human to get, get on there. You'll get on in and join the conversation. want to give a quick shout out to any part of the problem fans who might be tuning in. If this may be your very first episode, I do encourage you to go check out all our different episodes. Hit that subscribe button because we got a lot of different stuff going on. I think you're going to really enjoy our little uh, Thanksgiving special here from this past Wednesday. So be sure to go back and give that a little tick. We are running an ad campaign with part of the problem and Dave Smith. So if there's some new ears, I guess you might say, listening, welcome, welcome. Hope you enjoy the show. And uh, for those of you out there who want to find a way to support us even more, you can, of course, join the Lions of Liberty Pride by heading over to lionsofliberty.com slash support. We do many, many, many bonus podcasts. I do bonus segments with different guests like Dave Smith, uh, like Michael Heist, who I had on last week, like Tom Woods, like Scott Horton, like Julie Borowski, taking questions from Lions of Liberty Pride members. In addition to an assortment of other podcasts, we also have our Conspiracy Corner in there. We have uh, 
Brian McWilliams does his South Park reviews. John Odermatt does bonus Is It a Crime segments. There is just loads and loads of content over for as little as five bucks over at the Lions of Liberty Pride. So be sure to check that out and be sure to keep checking out again all the great shows here on Lions of Liberty. Stick around this coming Wednesday for Brian McWilliams with his weekly shot of comedy, culture, and liberty on Electric Liberty Land and wrap your week up with John Odermatt's look at the broken criminal justice system on Felony Friday. Until next time, folks, live long and live free.